Jim and Matt, thank you very much for joining us on AU Manufacturing Conversations and for having us as a guest at your factory. Good to be with you. Thanks for having us. So first of all, could I just get you guys to introduce yourselves? So this standard opening question is, how did you get here and what do you make? Whoever wants to go first, floor's all yours. I'll kick us off. So yeah, my name is Matt Holloway. I'm CEO of Holloway Group. We specialise in a process called injection moulding and we've come from humble beginnings, really second generation family business. My father was a toolmaker by trade. He started a, an injection moulding business back in the, the mid-80s and effectively built that business up over the course of the next sort of decade and a half and he ended up selling the business to a global conglomerate. Very long story short, business went through some changes and we decided to buy the business back in 2001. And from that point onward, we were, um, well, well, from that point, we were still very much in the contract moulding industry. So it was, we were basically billing our service out, the contract moulding arrangement to specific clients and, and partners that took their products into different industries. Through that period, the international manufacturing or international manufacturing was more appealing locally so a lot of people were sending products to get manufactured overseas and the writing was on the wall for us and 2008 to 2010 through that kind of the gfc period just after we really put a concerted focus into developing our own proprietary lines and over the last decade we've really taken the bull by the horns with that and our strategy and and investment has been revolving around our, our proprietary products and now we've been, we, we're left with a business that's diver, heavily diversified across a bunch of different sectors. Holloway Group's an umbrella brand that better positions our organisation to then, you know, I guess demonstrate our, our subsidiary businesses under that, which are, are brands that service products into a, a variety of, of industries from you know, hospitality right through to building and construction, rural equine and you know, stormwater and urban water design as well. Nice. We'll get back to the different divisions and what does what in a little bit. But uh, Jim, tell me how you joined this company and uh, your background, please. Yeah, sure. So um, Jim Pryor, Chief Operating Officer for Holloway Group, which was a newly formed role. Matt and I effectively developed after I came across to the business having been a client. So I'm from the construction industry, 25 years in steel and concrete foundations. I own another business that's still heavily in the space of residential house foundations and found a technology which we'll talk about which is the Biax product overseas and brought it to Australia under a license and very quickly realised that we needed better control of our destiny with regards to access to the product and we were having all sorts of issues with the importation. So we were introduced to Matt through a mutual contact who's a builder and the relationship started from there and we, we kicked off our Australian manufacturing campaign as a, as a business bringing a new technology to the, a relatively slow-moving industry. And that resonated with people, and then that was right at the same time that COVID hit, and there seemed to be a growing sentiment around bringing things home, and that's been the Holloway catch cry for a while, which resonated with me in particular. So, yeah, I, I can get into further detail about the bike product. Ultimately, that led to me establishing the fact that that product needed to be owned by the manufacturer rather than a merchant, if you like, which we were. And consequently, we transacted in September of 21, a handover or an acquisition, if you like, of the Biax Business Holloway Group. And I came across with that and and I've hung around. Right. And Biax is your invention? No, certainly not my invention. No, it's the invention of a 
a structural engineer from Italy who was residing in New Zealand and, and launched the product in New Zealand and won a series of technology awards and construction-related and engineering awards over there. And my business partner in the other company and I had been on the lookout for a replacement to a, a, a very archaic technology currently used in building residential house slabs. And we found Biax called XPod in New Zealand and tracked down the IP owner and put our case forward for why we felt we're the best people to bring it to Australia. For a little bit of background to listeners, tell me a bit about the size of your company, your reach, who your markets are, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, so we're a business with our advanced manufacturing facility based in in Sydney. Uh, We're a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week operation. We employ 90 people across Australia, warehousing in majority of states. We've grown considerably over the last couple of years through organic growth and and, uh, acquisition. And your your customers, we saw when we walked to the factory a little earlier, a lot of stuff for us, civil engineering type fields, construction. Tell me something about your your customer base. Yeah, it's very diverse. So we still do some contract molding. So we we manufacture a range of products for clients that want to rely on our services to deliver part of their business. But certainly our proprietary offer is, is very diverse. So a couple of the main business units, AP Plastic specializes in supply chain and logistics, bins, storage, boxes, collapsible crates. We sell that through a diverse distribution network across Australasia. Geohex is a ground stabilization technology that's in its fifth year of deployment, which is going really well. Again, that is a cheaper concrete or asphalt alternative. We, we sell a lot into the rural and equine sectors. Ausdrain specializes in stormwater management and urban stormwater design. So we make underground rain harvesting tanks, we do detention tanks, drainage cells, vertical wallboards, and then Biax, which is a really exciting addition that Jim spoke about that we, we're in our second year of, of launching uh, across Australia. So that's a substitute to your conventional foam waffle pods for the foundation, uh, building foundations industry and construction. Well, I'd like to know a little bit about the contract manufacturing side of things. And Jim mentioned earlier the the sentiment around getting more manufactured here. Tell me about, you know, reshoring is something we've heard a lot about since 21. What's it looked like to you guys on the ground? Are people coming to you and saying, how do we get this made here rather than overseas? Or is it just something that people are talking about? Yeah, well, I think the competitive landscape has done a bit of a 180 around local procurement. So, we invest heavily into robotics, automation, energy efficient, you know, infrastructure, which gives us a real edge. And I, I believe, or we know, uh, a more competitive offer to that of overseas options. But certainly through the pandemic, COVID-19, um, you know, put a lot of spanners in the works with international supply chain. That's really hurt wholesalers and their users that have been importing product. And so now... It is unequivocally more efficient to procure locally and we're positioned really well to service prospective clients and looking to reshore product. I think there is a degree of parochialism that is alive and well here too with some of the flagship businesses that have come to us and openly stated around this table their appetite to support more. There's always going to be a commercial and financial driver, but they've been pretty candid about the fact that they just sort of feel like it's right as well, which Mm -hmm. has been really encouraging. 
Another sort of trend of the last few years has been the move to uh, incorporate more recycled materials, specifically plastic into products. Could you tell me what you guys are doing in that area and something about the background to it? A lot of the product and business development that we do in-house really revolves around sustainability. So by a, a mile, recycled polypropylene is, is our most used resin throughout the facility. So majority of our business units and their SKUs use recycled polypropylene. A portion of that is procured in-house. So we, we have a, a full cyclic recycling application in-house. So we take our waste, our rejects, our purgings, they get ground up on site and then put back through our machinery. And because demand supersedes this feedstock that we generate in-house, we also buy in recycled polypropylene, which is made from post-industrial post-industrial waste, plastic waste. Is there a company that collects it all or you buy from a MRF or what, what happens? Yeah, yeah, it's it's multifaceted. So in-house, we do in-house, so yep. that's grinding in-house. We send yep. it away to get repalletized and that gets sent back to us. And then, yeah, we buy off prospective distributors of recycle or the resin suppliers that have recycle options in their offer. Repraline is the name of the, mm. the PP that you're yep. using. Is that an in-house formulation? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's been developed over the course of the last few years and we have our own proprietary blend that we tested that adds value to the application of our products, specifically load rating applications. So the Osdrone business needs to have specific modular strength requirements. Geohex has got really good impact resistance for its type of application, so there's a vast array of performance applications that we've had to tailor our own blend to ensure that our products are fit for use. Right. Was there a lot of R&D involved to get the formula right and a lot of tweaking stabiliser yeah. content yes, and all that? Lots of trials, lots of additions, working with suppliers as well over the course of a couple of years to get that just right. Yeah, let's turn to, to Biax, please, that was mentioned a moment ago. Tell me about coming on board via the, the acquisition, why <laughs> Biax was a good match for both parties and its role now. There's been an, a number of products attempt to uh, see the, the, the end of polystyrene, which is used in block form to form concrete slabs to effectively um, use concrete in the most efficient manner as, as, as possible without compromising the strength and stiffness capabilities of the slab. So they're called void formers and they, for the last 30 years they've been primarily by an overwhelming majority made out of polystyrene. The appetite for polystyrene these days is waning as we know and there's various sectors and states that have their own bans and limitations on the use of it. But for the construction industry this is a really low grade, high impact product on the environment that makes its way into riverways and water systems and there's some really well documented evidence of where this stuff ends up by virtue of it being placed on a building site and even during construction there's a byproduct from cutting it and moving it around site or they sit there waiting for the construction to start and they blow away in a, in a high wind and there isn't a builder or concreter or supplier in Australia that doesn't have concern and, and disdain quite frankly for impracticalities of that and, and the, the sustainability factor just being at zero realistically. So after 30 odd years or 25 years of being in that industry and having personally in early days gone around into kindergartens and playgrounds and had to pick up little bits of polystyrene that have blown in there, many, many businesses have been on the hunt for the right solution and the right alternative and bikes ticks a lot of boxes in terms of engineering requirements as well. It's not as simple as just simply substituting one for the other. It's not 
economically viable to take what is made now out of foam and just simply replicate that in plastic. So there's there's some real cleverness in the way Biax was developed by the engineer to accommodate the commercial requirements, to still go to the industry and say, hey, you can have this as an alternative. It's not going to cost you and ultimately your client 20% plus more for the privilege. And that really stems to, to the way in which it's been reverse engineered to, to be fit for purpose and more importantly, compliant with our standards of building. So ultimately, those were the, the reasons that my colleague and I, Brett, we're interested in it based on what we'd seen elsewhere that didn't quite work. There was a number of factors that didn't work on site practically. If you don't get a concrete or engaged, the product doesn't go through. The builders will take their opinion. This one really did tick those boxes. So we pushed ahead. We acquired a license for Australia, an exclusive license for Australia, given that we did have a fairly broad reach to many residential customers through other business. And that was done on a basis that we were importing it from New Zealand and China each of those parts and that went okay initially but we had a range of quality issues and material based issues that led to some dramas in our inception and trials so that that's really why we started thinking that we needed to have better visibility and control over quality and um, that's where the introduction to Matt came in. Matt had some experience in this space with companies like ours and, and, and even, even a potential distributor of this product approach him as a leader in the industry to manufacture it and look at manufacturing it. So when I brought it to Matt, he went, yep, I know what that one's all about and had a a real appetite because it does kind of dovetail in nicely with the offerings around GeoHex and Osdrain and using recycled material to sort of do a better job of something that's that's been a little destructive. So that's where the relationship started. It it just made sense commercially, as I said in the opener, that we cut out a middleman and and, uh, my partners and I agreed to span the the entity we created and get the product in the hands of the manufacturer where scalability and commercial viability was was going to thrive in order to get it out there in a, a much broader sense. for a little while longer. You guys earned a spot on the AFR Most Innovative list for that product last year. Tell me about innovation at Holloway. You guys describe yourselves as an innovation facilitator. What does the term mean to you guys? What does it involve innovation on a day-to-day level? Tell me about that. It's a key part of our culture here at Holloway Group and we apply that to both our own proprietary offer, how we develop and innovate, and the type of products that we're developing and, you know, the markets that we're reaching into and, and becoming specialists in. And it also is applied to our clients, our contract molding clients that we can handle products and product development end-to-end for them from design prototyping. We do online CAD testing, so FEAs, all sorts of different stages in the development of a client's unique product right through to mass production here in, here in Sydney. And across all those touch points, we do our best to offer that client significant competitive advantages through innovation. And I know it's a big part of our, our go forward plan, our management team, and right down to all departments have a, have a keen eye to ensure that you know, we're delivering the best possible outcome for you know, all the stakeholders in our business. I'll just expand on that and say that we're, we're also really working hard on internal innovation as well. You know, we, we've challenged the staff to think a little laterally and more broadly around how we could be doing things in-house 
to either improve the efficiencies of what we do or enhance the ability that ultimately leads to a better, broader customer offer. But the innovation doesn't just stop with a, a product or a client. It's absolutely encouraged internally from workflow to whatever it might be. But we're, we're trying to drive that culture that no question or suggestion is stupid and we want to hear more and more of them. Yeah, I've heard it said that culture is one of the most important, perhaps the most important thing when it comes to innovation in a company. How do you collect suggestions and feedback and validate ideas and bring them into the business development, turn them into products or improvements or whatever else? What does that look like? We've both led some pretty clear rhetoric with the whole team about getting out there and having a, a different lens on when they're looking at products even in a local Bunnings store or on a building site or whatever it might be. Look, generally speaking, we, we're encouraging for people to look differently by education and Matt's held some really beneficial workshopping together with other people internally to identify how we look for a solution that might be something we could facilitate in-house or, or enhance through that innovative thinking. In terms of how we facilitate that, we've got meetings and, and committees and structure that allows people to freely just table it and not feel threatened or, or embarrassed to do so. So I think we're pretty we're getting pretty good at giving folk opportunities and invariably there's days you walk into the office and there's some strange widget on the table that someone got a hold of and we really like it. We, we celebrate that, that whether yeah. it's something we go ahead with or not. Yeah, I think it's important and we're, we're always delivering the message to all the departments across the, the organisation that... You know, it's the old adage about no ideas a bad one and, and really respecting ideas when they come across, you know, management's desk. And, and it's nice to know that a lot of these ideas that right, even our floor operators at the coalface that are our first line of quality control, the toolbox talks that we conduct once a month, giving them a platform to put ideas forward and, and knowing that they're going to get listened to. Not all of them are going to have a, a tick box to them. Not all of them are going to say yes. Some need investment, some don't. But certainly we're building a business here that really respects our, our own team's input and you know, advice on, on certain areas of the business. To return to recycled plastics, you know, we've seen some success stories, some good products come out, some you know, occasional disasters like Red Cycle. What have things looked like from where you are? And uh, you know, if you, I guess, were benevolent dictator or something like that and you had the chance to drive adoption of recycled plastics, what would you you put in front of people as a solution? Jeez, that's a pretty good question. Mm-hmm. Look, I, th- I think certainly industry is pushing everyone towards more sustainable approaches and, and plastics by nature has a really bad reputation. I mean, we specialise in rigid in rigid injection moulding, which is very different to the one-way plastic bags and straws. And so we've really set out to ensure that we're, our brand and our business is differentiated to that of you know, the, the one-way use stuff that is bad and that, that people really do struggle to recycle with. Insofar as what the future and ultimate goal looks like, I think it's innovation. We spoke about innovation just earlier. I think it's a big part of our go-forward plan here is to continue to innovate ways where we can put more efficient, more sustainable manufacturing practices and resins, working with key suppliers in, in the industry, biodegradable plastics are at the forefront. I travelled to Germany last year over to Fair and Got some real, really good ideas and insights on you know cutting edge technologies with engineering polymers to reduce carbon footprints across all areas of the manufacturing sector. So there's plenty happening in that space. I don't think there's one single solution to everything, but but certainly I think it's a collaborative effort. Well, I'd like to see um, and have a 
pretty decent thirst for some broader accountability when you ask the question around government. Overall governing area of, of what good looks like in this space, you know, plastic, yes, by virtue of the name, it, it comes with a, a connotation, but plastic's arguably better than foam. So, should you know, how do we cut through that to which is the, the, the more evil of the evils, if that's the perception. But there's a bit of work to be done, I think, still to try and encourage governments to walk the talk a bit. It might be good policy driver as a headline for governments that are either wanting to come in or, or, or sustain. But, you know, there's a bit of contradiction that goes on too. You know, we've just recently come across a grant that was issued to a, a manufacturer of polystyrene product and a healthy grant at that to allow them to establish an operation in regional New South Wales. And that's to produce a product that is ultimately what Biax has invented to counter or, or replace. And it seems just completely counterintuitive that a government would want to drive certain policies around foam for packaging and foam for other things and yet be even remotely supporting that sector for something that is widely known as being a heavy pollutant. The problem is, is that We've got a solution. There are other solutions. Our competitors have got solutions that might be plastic resin-based, recycling particularly. I, 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 I want to try and figure out, and, and with Matt's help and our broader reach, how do we get recognised by those sectors as potential replacements that help make that policy decision a lot simpler? You know, if they went and banned polystyrene waffle pods tomorrow, there'd be builders and concreters in the streets with pitchforks saying, you've ruined my business, I can't continue, but... They've done nothing really to reach out to what are well-publicised and documented alternatives to say, right, what have you got? How big can you get? What do you need from us? And press on. So I, I don't quite know how you close that gap, and I think we're going we're to have to put our heads together, and it'll probably cost some money, to really try and have some influence at that, influence, I should say, at that lobbying level and that education level about our capability. So your discussions with government have not been many or... Oh, no, we haven't necessarily gotten there. And, and, you know, we've done some fairly meagre work at this stage while we're just establishing ourselves and getting the product right to build awareness. And we've had a PR company assist us with some of that. We we can go hard and we can go deeper. Uh, And I think that this recent grant is evidence that we need to get on with that. But I think... That also means reaching out to competitors of ours in the plastic space and say, hey, if a broader objective is all about styrene, then we should kind of come together and there should be a big enough market for us to, to, to do that successfully and all, all have our chunk. To talk about skills shortages, it's hard to find good help, basically, whatever the role is. We are talking about toolmakers earlier, that being a particularly hard thing to hire for. But, um, you know, across the board, it's hard to get people for vacant jobs. Tell me, please, about what the skill shortage has looked like for you guys and your neighbours as you're in the manufacturing heartland and um, the situation at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the skills shortage for us has been really represented in the the toolmaking and engineering space. So we've had some real struggles trying to recruit talent for our engineering and toolmaking facility. And because of that struggle, we've been forced to, and this has always been a passion of ours anyway, but we've really had to up the ante, is developing our own talent in-house. So we've got three apprentices on at the moment, and we've been looking at building on that this year, and really having a key focus on, on taking control of building our own talent in-house because it's so so difficult to find those skills abroad in Australia at the moment. So, yeah, we put a lot of emphasis on internal training, giving people opportunities to demonstrate their, their willingness to work and learn and those 
those guys, those young guys with no experience um, have turned out to be our most valuable assets. So it's something we want to continue to work on. And what are those three apprentices, what are they studying now? Yeah, so all three of them go to Lidcom TAFE. They're doing yep. a, I believe it's a diploma in polymer processing. And in that there's modules of tool making, mold setting. They get a fundamental education on engineering resins, how to start up machines, operate robots. It's, it's really cool. I've actually done it myself. We've actually got two of those guys that have graduated this week. Yeah. Which which, which is fantastic, but it actually highlights the need for us to be eyes wide open about how competitive the landscape is, given that there is such shortage, and make sure we have the right strategies to retain those guys now that they're qualified and Mm. go to market. We've got to do more than just money to give them the appetite to stay here and and the enthusiasm about other opportunities. And lastly... uh, recurring question for this series is what's the one issue within manufacturing that isn't getting the attention by media policymakers or others that it deserves? I'm relatively new to manufacturing but, but having brought the biax business to Holloway Group knowing full well given my exposure to the industry and its application just how good a solution that is broadly across that whole sector and the entire country I guess from my perspective I see this as being something that it's a little disappointing to think that we couldn't get more input from government or or better access to government to put the case forward of just how beneficial this is versus the incumbent and have them tearing down the walls of our establishment to help us scale up and get it out there, given just how quantifiable, even only after three years of being here, that is as a solution. So when it comes to things like grants and the process you go through to establish your business case to get a grant or even just how you get access to the right people at government. I just wish it was a little easier. I understand everyone's going to have their invention and their idea, but there's got to be a better way, I think, of funneling down the real heavy hitters in a process that means you can get to the front of the queue a lot quicker, put your case forward and and get some results that mean we can push this harder than just a traditional flogging of sales Mm. to people through resourcing salespeople. We shouldn't need salespeople to sell bikes across Australia. It's just that fundamental. I think that might resonate in other areas of manufacturing more broadly, and I'm sure it does with other products within the Holloway Group. But from my experience, I think in that case, I just wish we could get to the policy makers or the decision makers a lot a lot easier yeah, and get their support. Like Biax is a solution that has the potential to cut out 25 to 30,000 tonnes of foam styrene, just completely remove it and substitute it out of the building industry. A lot of that does get into waterways. It blows off building sites. So we've got a solution here, and and this year is really going to be about us rallying that. Sure. Well, if you were to say to a manufacturer, I'm also a manufacturer and I've got a good idea, but I can't get the ear of government, then you'd probably hear someone say, me too. It's a common enough story, sadly. That's everything I wanted to ask you. So uh, thank you very much for joining us on AU Manufacturing Conversations and for having us at your premises. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.